Hello, and welcome to the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement's podcast, Wonks at Work. I'm Craig Wilson, your host, a self-declared wonk, dad of two boys, native Arkansan, and I've been the health policy director at the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement for nearly a decade. On this show, we aim to demystify, boil down, and unwonk, if you will, complex topics so that you can understand how the healthcare system is working or not working for you. All right, for you regulars, I'm the only wonk on this episode, and I'm going to be talking about two big events that have occurred recently, the election of a new president and the Supreme Court hearing of a big case involving the Affordable Care Act. Now, before we get started, I want to flip the script a bit. Now, on each episode, I ask my guests what they do when they're not at work. Now, for me, in normal times, that would be playing local gigs with my horn band, the Dizzy Seven, or joining my wife on stage at a local theater like we did in 2019 at the Argenta Community Theater in the show A Chorus Line. But now, I'm enjoying lots of time outside with my boys, most recently walking the Kingfisher Trail at Pinnacle, watching out for the different animals, including the bobcat that's been roaming my neighborhood, and catching ladybugs and snails and walking sticks and all kinds of other bugs. Now, as for my theme song, you're just going to have to wait on that. I'll probably drop that on a later episode. But recently, I find myself listening to songs that help me think that the times that we're living in are not altogether different than times that were written and sung about in earlier decades. It's a connection thing. Now, the one that comes to mind right now and hits home for me is Under Pressure by David Bowie and Freddie Mercury. It's what I listen to on the treadmill. It's a song that challenges us to cue the sappy. Give love one more chance. It says... Love dares you to care for the people on the edge of the night. Now, I think that's a message we can all get behind right now. Plus, it's sung by two of the most soaring voices ever recorded. Now, let's get to work. On Tuesday, November 3rd, Americans went to the polls in waves we haven't seen in a long time and elected a new president, but a known face in D.C. and the White House, Joe Biden. Two Senate seats in Georgia are still up for grabs pending runoffs, and if the Democrats win these two seats, it could swing the balance of power drastically. The cabinet and judicial appointment confirmation process would go much more smoothly for Biden. He could resolve the legal challenge to the Affordable Care Act that we're going to talk about in a minute with a simple legislative fix. And he could potentially expand on the Affordable Care Act as he's done, as he's discussed during his campaign. But let's just assume that Biden doesn't have majority control in the Senate, which is a little bit more likely. What are the three big things he might do in the healthcare space? It's what all of us wonks think about, right? Now, for the health insurance marketplaces, which were created by the Affordable Care Act and are where 50 to 60,000 Arkansans access subsidies to help them purchase insurance. Biden could extend open enrollment back to 90 days instead of the current limited 45-day open enrollment period. In terms of the types of plans available on the marketplace, it's likely that a Biden administration will roll back Trump administration regulations 
on non-affordable care act plans, those short-term limited duration and association health plans that uh, have the potential to destabilize the market. And there's also been concerns raised about deceptive marketing practices associated with these skimpy coverage plans and denial of claims under pre-existing condition exclusions. Now, the second thing that Biden could do is on Section 1115 Medicaid demonstration waivers, under which Arkansas has been operating its Medicaid expansion program since 2014. And he could make those reflect the policy priorities of his own current administration, which is the priority and prerogative of any administration. Now, under Trump, work and community engagement requirements, premium obligations, block grant proposals, these were focus areas. A Biden administration is likely to reexamine all waiver approvals that have been approved under the Trump administration, and he could withdraw approval for some of these program features like work and community engagement requirements or restrict the expenditures associated with these types of waivers. It's almost certain that Biden will rescind guidance on this front and not approve any future waivers with these types of features. And looking ahead, I could also see a Biden administration open to Medicaid buy-in waivers using flexibility in the Affordable Care Act, meaning that individuals not currently eligible for Medicaid coverage could have the option to buy into public coverage through the Medicaid program. Now, the third thing, beyond uh, really the executive branch authority, I expect Biden to kind of use his honeymoon period as president to try to build consensus in Congress on familiar issues like drug costs and surprise billing and ensuring continued access to rural health care, with a particular focus on shoring up our rural hospitals. I also see Biden continuing the progress of the Trump administration, surprisingly, right, on health care transparency. It's kind of a bipartisan topic. Now, he could move to, like the Trump administration has, to open up the black box of who gets paid what in our health care system. And then, of course, the elephant in the room will be how he addresses the COVID-19 pandemic. And he's already got his task force together, so we're going to have to see how that plays out when he takes office. Now, turning to the Supreme Court. You know I'm an attorney, so this gets me amped up. On Tuesday, November the 10th, the justices held two hours, yes, two hours, of oral arguments on yet another case challenging the constitutionality of the Affordable Care Act, and the name of the case was California v. Texas. And yes, I did listen, and I live-tweeted throughout the whole oral argument, <laughs> because for a healthcare lawyer, these are like the Super Bowl, right? So let me give you a little background on the case. If you recall, in a previous case in 2012, the National Federation of Independent Business versus Sibelius, the Supreme Court upheld the constitutionality of the individual mandate that required people to purchase insurance or pay a penalty. Now, Chief Justice Roberts wrote the majority opinion for that case. And he said that the mandate was constitutional because it was a tax. And taxing is within the power of Congress. Well, 
In 2017, Congress zeroed out the penalty. It was about $700. But they zeroed it out. But they left the language in the law that still required people to buy insurance coverage. So this meant that there was a mandate, but no way for the government to enforce it. So this raises a question as to whether the mandate was constitutional because the authority that made it constitutional, according to Chief Justice Roberts and the rest of the court, was Congress's taxing authority. And if there's no longer a tax, how can it be constitutional? Now, that was the same thought of about 20 state attorneys general, including Arkansas's own attorney general, and a couple of plaintiffs who said, you know, I know that they can't enforce it, but there's a law on the books. And I nonetheless feel compelled to comply with the law and buy insurance, even though I can't be penalized. Now, the broader goal of the lawsuit on behalf of the state attorneys general was to really strike down the entire Affordable Care Act because they said Congress did not include a severability clause. Now, this is a provision that would say if some part of this law is overturned by a court, then we want the remainder of it to remain intact. But there was no severability clause in the law. So the theory was that if the individual mandate was unconstitutional, then guess what? The remainder of the law has got to go. After all, that was the claim of those who defended the law in 2012 in court, that the individual mandate was the linchpin of the law, that it was inextricably intertwined with the rest of the law. And if it goes, hmm, well, the rest of the law would crush insurance markets under its own weight. And by the way, there are some legislative findings in the Affordable Care Act that say the very same thing. Well, what we know is that when Congress zeroed out the penalty in 2017, the parade of horribles that were the subject of much gnashing of teeth did not actually happen. The markets did not fail. In fact, insurance enrollment has not dramatically declined, and markets have remained surprisingly stable since then. So that gets us to the lawsuit that was before the court in California v. Texas. Now, the individual plaintiffs and the state attorneys general filed their case in a Texas federal district court. Now, mind you, this is a suit in which the Trump administration, in a very unprecedented move, said, we're not going to defend the law. So several states, including California, that's how California got into the case, had to intervene to actually defend the Affordable Care Act. Now, the federal judge in Texas sided in favor of the plaintiffs, agreeing that, number one, they had standing to sue because they were harmed when they were compelled to purchase insurance due to the existence of the mandate, despite there being no penalty. The judge also said, number two, that the individual mandate was now unconstitutional because, 
there's no longer a tax penalty. And three, the mandate was so essential to the law that the remainder of the Affordable Care Act, all of it, must fall. Now, notably, on the standing issue, that's a, that's an issue about whether or not the plaintiffs actually have an injury that they can bring into court. The district judge adopted the kind of one-and-done philosophy. In other words, the individual plaintiffs have standing to sue, so I'll assume that the states do too. The judge didn't do any analysis on that, but one and you're in. All one, one is in, all are in. Now, on appeal, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals agreed with the federal district, district judge, except they said, wait, 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 judge. Now, you need to go back and show us your work. Now, where have we all heard that before, right? In elementary school, we're doing basic arithmetic. you got to show me your work, okay? You need to show us why each provision in the Affordable Care Act must fall. You can't just assume that all of it must fall. And the Fifth Circuit really said that the judge needed to use a finer tooth comb, those are the exact words, to reach his conclusions. So then we go to the Supreme Court, right? The Supreme Court decided to hear California's petition earlier this year. And if, if I can be frank, look, the seasoned members of the court were not at all excited to be hearing yet another case involving the Affordable Care Act. In fact, some of them sounded pretty perturbed, not only by the fact that they were hearing a case about the Affordable Care Act, but also, the, frankly, the juvenile nature of the challenger's arguments. Now, the justices had lots of questions about whether the individual and state challengers actually had an injury or had standing to bring the case. They were doubtful of the individual plaintiff's arguments that they decided to purchase insurance and were harmed by doing so when they actually had an option not to do so and wouldn't even be penalized if they didn't purchase. Now, the state challengers, the attorneys general, argued that they were harmed because some people might not know that there was a penalty. And, well, let's just face it, there was still a command in the law for people to get coverage. And they said that as a result, more people enrolled in Medicaid causing higher state expenditures. They actually argued, (laughs) as some of my colleagues have said, that Medicaid was a harm. Increased enrollment in Medicaid was a harm. But the justices were actually open to this argument. However, they were concerned that it could lead to future lawsuits based on plaintiffs, quote, roaming around in laws, trying to find something that they were harmed by. Now, if the justices don't throw out the case based on standing and reach the second question of the mandate's constitutionality, I do think that they will find it unconstitutional. And the only potential for the opposite result is if five justices out of the nine decide to use a statutory construction rule to decide what Congress did by removing the penalty in 2017 was change a command to buy insurance, a, quote, shall in the law versus a should. But they they would say if, if they change the command from a shall to a should, then that is a saving construction, that is saving the provision from being unconstitutional. 
and the challenger's arguments evaporate. Now, I think it's doubtful that the court takes this route, so you get to severability. And I think there's strong precedent and a clear sentiment among the justices to decide that even if the mandate is unconstitutional, then the remainder of the law can and should stand. Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Kavanaugh, on at least three occasions, asked the challengers why the court should diverge from long-held precedent and strike down the remainder of the law. He said, I quote, I tend to agree with you that it's a very straightforward case for severability. He later said that it does seem fairly clear that the proper remedy is to sever the rest of the law and let it stand. Now, we won't have a decision from the court until at the earliest April and maybe as late as June of next year. Now, I'm going to say that I think the Affordable Care Act will remain the law of the land after the decision. But in the meantime, states like Arkansas are having to make difficult decisions before the end of April about the reauthorization of legislation for Medicaid expansion, which is a major component of the Affordable Care Act. Now, a wait-and-see approach on a Supreme Court decision might not be the best strategy for legislators, given all the work involved in working with a new Biden administration on waiver renewal and the weight of coverage for more than 300,000 Arkansans hanging in the balance. One thing is sure, when we do have a court decision, you can be sure I will break it down here on this podcast. Thank you for listening to Wonks at Work. You can listen to our bi-weekly podcast on our website, achi.net. A special thanks to the Bobby L. Roberts Library of Arkansas History and Art, which is a part of the Central Arkansas Library System, for allowing us to use their studio to record our podcast. If you have any topics you would like us to consider putting on our list to cover in the next few months, please email us at achi at achi.net. Thanks for listening.